It's our final week of our series, uh, Building Strong Families in a Weak World. If you're joining us at Vincennes or Princeton or online, so thankful that you're joining in with us here at Washington. And I know that God has something to uh, do in your life and produce in your house. And uh, we've been in this series that has just really been taking shape to say, we want a Christ-centered culture. As a matter of fact, it's been our goal to say, I will create a Christ-centered culture in my home that is stronger than the culture that's in this world. And we got that from what Joshua had to say in Joshua 24, verse 15, where he said, hey, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And Joshua's progression is really simple. He says, I'm going to get my heart right with God. And when I get my heart right, as the leader of my household, my household will start to catch on. And as for my house as well, they'll start to serve together with me. And we've really decided that if we want to make revival in our home, revival in this nation, revival in this world, then we just got to draw a circle around ourselves and say, revival starts right here in my heart. It will then go into my home. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Last week, Evan gave a tremendous sermon on how to clean up our house and how to get out the things that are not God honoring and remove those possessions and traditions and those habits. And just to say, I'm not, not going to have those things in my home anymore. They're not doing anything for us. They're not producing a Christ-centered culture in our home. Actually, we were kind of welcoming the things of the world in. But I'm here to say that if you're just going to clean house and you're going to leave it vacant and have a void of stuff, something is ultimately, sooner or later, going to fill in the vacancy. Something's going to fill in the void. And I wanted today to give you some practical tools to say, here's what I want in my home. These are the kinds of things that I can do to make my house a God-honoring home today. And I think some of us have this tension right now as I speak when we talk about home or family or marriage or relationships that we know that are strained that we need to work on. And there's that tension that says, well, my family is a mess. My family is full of, of, of weirdos and dysfunction and division. And it is, it is like, of all the families, it's the worst. Well, it's not. It's not. Okay, you got to get your hat. You got to get your head out of the sand for a moment, and you got to look around your neighborhood for a second, and you got to realize, isn't that a great moment? We're like, my family's nuts, and then you look around. You go to the state fair, and you're like, no, we're not that nuts. We're we're, we're like royalty around here. You just got to kind of get your head out of the sand a little bit, and if you really want to feel good, if you really want to feel good about your family, you just need to start reading the Bible, because there ain't a single healthy family in the scriptures. Not a single one of them. They're all messed up. And here's what I love about it, is that as they are messed up, they're trying to redeem their home like we're trying to redeem our homes and our families. And they're stumbling forward because their desire is to honor God. And that might be the only difference from your dysfunction and their dysfunction. Their desire is to honor God and they're stumbling towards God in that desire. That's not a, we're not talking about perfection today. We're talking about just doing some things that are God honoring so we can get better at this. And they, they stumbled forward in it. And uh, the good news, I think, that all of us need to hear and just shout amen to is God uses dysfunctional families. Amen to that. He uses messy families. He uses families that seem torn apart and, and families that just seem chaotic and families that don't seem to have any kind of Christ-centered culture in their home. God says there's hope and he can use your mess and turn it into a, a powerful message. But you have to make that desire today to say, as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. And as for my household. We're, we're going to do the same. Um, but that doesn't mean that you, you, you can just continue to let sin prevail in your home. All right? Some of us are like, well, good. I, I want to pursue God. You can pursue God, but you got to repent of sin, and you got to run towards God and, and say, I don't want that stuff in my life anymore. So this is not like 
This is not like a foot in the world and, a, and then a foot in, into God's word. This is saying, I'm going to sacrifice daily the things of the world to usher in the Christ-centered culture in my home. And um, like the Apostle Paul says, I've got to die daily to do that. I've got to, some of my, some of my habits and some of my heartbeat are for some things of the world. And I've got to admit that about myself, that sometimes there's an attractional pull to sinful things. And I've just got to say no to that and uh, just say, I, I want to be a, a home that honors God. And it starts with me right, right here. Proverbs chapter 24 says that the, it takes wisdom. It takes some wisdom to have a good family. It takes wisdom to have a good family and it takes understanding to make it strong. And, and wisdom is not like applied knowledge. I know that's how like the world defines what wisdom is, applied knowledge and making it practical. But wisdom in a biblical sense is real simple. It's on the screen before us. It's just the idea that my decisions are all connected. That's what wisdom is. Recognizing that if it's a big decision or a small decision, it's all connected. It's all making me. It's all rippling out and affecting others that all my decisions are connected. And they're, and they're making this thing that I call life. And so it doesn't matter what the decisions are. They're, they're all connected together. And so what is the wisest decision that you can make for your family today? If, if it takes wisdom to have a good family, what is the wisest decision that you can make today? And you, you may not know because you may not have thought about it. It might have just like sprung this question on you today. But let me, as a pastor, kind of counsel you to what I think would be the wisest decision that you can make uh, as you look to have a God-honoring God honoring home. I think the, the wisest decision you can make is, is this. Uh, demonstrate an authentic faith. To dim, just demonstrate an authentic faith. I think that's the wisest thing you can do. And that means that you're going to take your faith home with you today. Because some of us compartmentalize and, and faith doesn't go with us to work. It doesn't go with us home. It's just kind of like something we do on Sunday at, at a worship service. And it, it doesn't certainly go home. It doesn't go to, uh, rather to, uh, on vacation with us. But, but what it means to have authentic faith is that even when you're alone and you know no one is watching and you're like free to be you, you know, like you're uninhabited, uh, is that faith is with you then, and you're demonstrating God's character and integrity even in those moments when you're alone. Real authentic faith is, is more than words. Real authentic faith is more than emotion. It's more than a belief. It's, it's living it out, and it's making it practical, and it's making decisions for Jesus every single day. Listen, authentic faith is more than words, because I'm guilty as a parent to say, do as I say, not as I do. I am so guilty as a parent. I'm guilty even as a leader to say, hey, uh, I'm the exception rather than the example. But that's not authentic faith. As a matter of fact, the book of James, uh, Jesus' half-brother puts it like this. He says, don't just merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You're, you're going to have to live out your faith. And so as we're talking about authentic faith, the definition is to really live this out and not just be the exception, but to be the example, to actually practice what you're preaching. Because if we don't, not just the world, but those in our family who know us best are going to call us out as hypocrites. And they're going to see right through the, the fake faith that we might be demonstrating. So how do you make faith real? How do you get to this authentic place? Because I would bet to say that there's so much inconsistency in our faith that we try to fake it. Uh, and our kids see right through it. Our spouses see right through it. Those in our homes see right through it. How do you make this real? Jesus gives us a prescription on how to get this right. In John chapter 15, in verse 4, Jesus says a simple teaching. He says, remain in me. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. Or be connected. It's a, it's a teaching about connectivity. And then he has this illustration that he gives uh, from botany. 
He says, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And Jesus says, listen, I'm the branch, or I'm, I'm the vine, and you are the branches, and, and those branches are expected to bear some fruit when you're connected. And so authentic faith really begins when you're connected to Christ Jesus. But you cannot have the fruits of Christ Jesus in your life when you're welcoming in the weeds of the world into your home. And some of us are trying to have authentic faith, but we've disconnected ourselves from Christ every day but Sunday. And you're not going to have those fruits that Christ brings into your life, into your home, if you're constantly disconnected. And that's what Jesus is teaching. Let's get into it in a contrast way. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has a contrast about what a home or a life could look like when it is connected to the world and what a home and a life could look like when it's connected to Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, it's page 946 in the Bible that's in the chair rack in front of you. We're going to start in verse 19, and the Bibles that we provide for you are from what's called the New International Version, but I want to put it on the screen in the New Living Translation. It just makes it a little bit more understandable and puts it just in this context a little bit in more of a modern phrasing. Starting in verse 19, Galatians chapter 5 gives us this contrast to what life is like disconnected from Jesus Christ who is the vine. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Does that sound like some things that happen in your home? Because those, that, that's what it manifests itself when we disconnect ourselves from the vine of Jesus Christ. And it might not be uh, the totality of all those things. You might not say, well, yeah, all those things are right. No, but there's probably a handful of those things that could probably define your household right now. Whether it's immorality or, or, or impurity or lustful pleasures or wild parties or drunkenness or dissension or division or, or quarrel, quarreling or jealousy. Those could be definitions of our home, and that's what a home looks like and a life looks like when we're disconnected from the vine. But this is what it's like when faith is authentic and you're connected to Christ. Paul says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Hey, in church world, we call those the fruits of the Spirit. That's what happens when you stay connected to Christ Jesus. That's what a home looks like, and that's what a life looks like. And wouldn't you love to have your home and your life defined by those words of faithfulness and kindness and patience and peace and faith and gentleness and goodness and love and joy and self-control? Wouldn't you love that to be the hallmark of your house rather than the other list that is in contrast to the, the fruits of the Spirit? He goes on to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Meaning it's a daily decision that you're going to say no to the world's ways and you're going to have to weed out the world's culture and say yes to Christ and usher his culture into your life and remain connected to him. In verse 25, it says, since we're living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just in some parts, but in every part. Now throw those fruits of the spirit back up on the screen because I want you to say, that's what I want. Because man, if my home were just defined by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control rather than immorality or impurity or drunkenness or envy or division or dissension or selfish ambition or wild parties. and Man, I want that. And you're crazy if you don't want that. Like you would have to say, 
I want what Satan wants for me, if you don't want that. I think every rational person on the face of the earth says, I want my home to be filled with love. And I want my life to be defined by joy. And I want my home to be filled with peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the kind of home I want. And you're like, but that's not the kind of home I've got. Hey, it's never too late. God uses dysfunction. He uses dysfunction. And all you have to say today is, I want that authentic faith in my life. And you know how to get it? You remain in Christ. You make faith a priority in your life because you can't fake love and you can't fake joy and you can't fake gentleness or self-control or goodness. You can't fake the fruits of the spirit. Guys, this is not one of those things like, I'm gonna fake it till I make it, right? This is not one of those things. This is saying, God, I disconnect from the world and I reconnect to the vine. I want your fruits in my life and I want the fruits of the spirit in my home. It's gonna take a little time, by the way, to ripen and to become fully mature. But I'll tell you what, when they do, your, your household will have a new hallmark. It won't be defined by the world's ways. It'll be defined by Christ's ways because you've stayed connected to the vine and the fruits have matured and ripened. Don't you want that? That's what I want. So the wisest counsel I can give to you about how to make a house a God-honoring home is to have authentic faith. Here's the second one, is develop an intentional schedule. An intentional schedule. I... I, I I encourage you just to start pulling away from your busyness. I know that some of you use busyness as a badge of honor. You're like, I'm so busy. And you're like proud of it, kind of. You shouldn't be proud of it because busyness means you're out of control. That's what busyness means. It means you have no control of what you're doing. You're out of control and everything else is pulling you in a direction that you don't want to go or that you didn't know how to manage. You may have never, you may have never saw it that way. And I think there's a difference between busy and productive, don't you? I've been awfully busy before, but not productive. And I think those two things are different. And most of us, I think, feel like I feel and that we don't have a lot of time. You ever feel like I don't have a lot of time? Okay, if that's how we all feel, then why don't we make some time for the right things and the meaningful things in our life? And why don't we just say no to some things that have no meaning, that just don't have any long-term effect on our lives or our families, and just say, we're just not going to do that. We're going to focus on some things that have meaning. I was shocked by... Um, one of those things that pierced my heart. Uh, If you have kids in your home 18 years or younger and they're in your home, it was discovered in a general way that we spend about seven minutes a day with our kids. That's 49 minutes a week. That's crazy. Like that hurts of actually interacting with our kids. Here's what really will nail you. If you have preschoolers in your household, uh, the study had found out that dads who have preschoolers interact with their preschooler on an average of 38 seconds a day. That's, that's like, oh, that hurts, right? And I, I know that's, that you're going, well, that's not my world, but that's like averaged out. That's where it lands. And how about we just say, hey, that's not going to be me. And I think what's happened in our world is we just, we're moving way too fast. You know, I, I watch like YouTube clips and, and I listen to podcasts and I don't listen to them at one time speed anymore. I'm like at 1.5 and I'm like 1.8. Sometimes I'm at 2.0. Like they're like talking like chipmunks all of a sudden because I, I just don't have the time to take in a 50-minute podcast. Let's reduce this thing down to 25 minutes, you know? Just speed this thing up a little bit. And that's how we are in life. We're just everything. We're just flying through life. We're like, in our household, we're like ships passing in the fog. We don't know if we're coming or going. And the scriptures talk about this. It talks about the movement we have in life where we're not even seeing each other anymore because we're going so fast. Psalm, 1, Psalm 39 rather says, we are merely moving shadows and all our busy rushing ends in nothing. 
You ever feel like that? We're just like shadows. Like we don't really get a glimpse of one another. We just see what was, not what is of one another. And, and we're just in a rush moving from one event to another, one rehearsal, one game, one job to the next, whatever it is, we're just constantly moving. And I know that you and I both know that like when, when life starts to dim on, on us, like when we get in the winter of our years, you know what I'm talking about? Like that season of life where we know we're close to our time being up, we're, we're going to wish we spent more time with our kids and our spouse. We're going to wish that our legacy was with our kids and our spouse. We're not going to wish that we spent more time on the basketball court or chasing awards or whatever it might be that you're, you're running hard after a hobby or some kind of interest or maybe more money or success. We're going to all wish that we, we spent time with those people that, that have meaning to our life. And I know that's the way it, it works within all of us. And I'm, I'm sitting here saying, don't live with regret. Let's just get it right, right now. And I say that to you, and some of you are like, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to prioritize my schedule. How about this? How about you just schedule your priorities? Because I, I could go back right now. I, my, my calendar's crazy. I can go back right now, and I could say, well, I'm going to get my life in order. I'm going to prioritize my schedule. Well, that does nothing for me but keep me in the rat race and running around. How about I say, here's my priorities. My faith is a priority. That's number one. My family is number two. And I would say, my faith and my wife, and then my kids. And if that's my priority, then my calendar should look like my priorities. And my priorities, if it's faith, there should be a whole lot of things marked on my calendar that have to do with my faith. Whether that's small group or church or my daily devotion to God through reading and prayer, but there should be things in my life that are scheduled for my faith. And then if it's my priority, my schedule will follow my priorities and not the opposite way around. And maybe that's the way it needs to start working for you. It's faith and family, and, and those are the things you want to prioritize. Well, those are the things you got to start scheduling. I don't know how you do that. Let me give you some ideas. Maybe you just start prioritizing dinner with each other. You don't give up on that as hard as it gets. You, you prioritize worshiping together. That's hard to do, especially in a large church where there's multiple ministries for all age groups. Maybe you're just like, you know what? Uh, my junior hires need to be in here. My high schoolers need to be with us when we sit together in here. Prioritize family activities Maybe it's something around your kids' interests. Here's what I've decided to do a long time ago. I committed to saying yes to every single time my, my kids invite me into like playing catch or Xbox or golfing or whatever it might be. Yesterday, I was asked to play catch with one of my boys and it was like in you know, 27 degrees and you know, 20 mile an hour winds. I'm like, heck yeah, I'm gonna go play catch standing in the mud, you know? I, I think we threw the ball five times and he got cold. I was like, I won that one, yes! <laughs> Like, absolutely, totally. I've learned also that, you know, my kids, the older they get, the more they don't want to hang out with me, which is fine, you know? So I get that, you know, I'm not that cool. Uh, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to the store. I don't want to go with you. I'm buying. Okay, well, there, we're there. So I like buying their friendship, which is cool. I don't mind. I don't mind doing that. Like we'll go on trips or something. And, and uh, we've kind of made it like a little uh, priority to say, if, hey, if I'm going on a trip, no big deal to buy an extra ticket. And uh, you know, where are they going to go? They're in the airplane with me for three and a half hours. I get to talk to them for three and a half hours. Um, and maybe it's just a matter of saying yes to some things and find some ways to work in. My wife spends 10, 10 times more time with my boys than I do. Maybe she's wishing she didn't, but I, I, that's the way it works. And uh, I, I kind of envy that in a lot of ways. And maybe, you know, like the psalmist suggests, we just need to ask God, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Because when we know that we have limited days, we start getting wise with our time. 
And, and a lot of us, dads, I'm, I'm talking to you because we're, we're, we don't spend a lot of time with our kids. All, you know, I just gave you some of the statistics. And, and maybe we just say, teach us to number our days so that we can have a heart of wisdom so that we can know that all of our decisions are connected and we can use our time best with what limited time that we really have. And if time is what we want most, then let's start using it best. And so how, how can you be wise by building that strong family? Demonstrate authentic faith. Develop intentional schedules, series of sort of things. Discover your family's purpose. Every family has a purpose. Every individual has a purpose, but every family has a general purpose. Look in the scriptures and you'll find this to be true. Whether it's Aaron, whose family is now priests and uh, men and women who serve in the temple, or maybe it's someone who had a trade, like they were good at, at um, and skilled at refining metal, and uh, maybe it, and they were good at woodworking. In First Chronicles, there's a whole passage of Scripture about a family that's like the Partridge family, uh, and uh, they're, they're like a family band, and they're using their gifts to honor God. But God uses families and, and, and gives this unique purpose. Like my family, for right now, in this moment, and I'm not telling you just to guilt anybody, I'm just telling you where we're at. We're, we're a, a foster family. We've learned just to welcome some kids into our life who just need love in a temporary way until they get reconnected to their family. And that, that's not the purpose of just Kelly and I. That was something that we were intentional about, sat down with our three boys and said, listen, this is what we'd like to do. Here's how God's guiding us, but we need you in this. And I'll be honest, we couldn't do it without our three boys. There's no possible way we could be a foster family unless our three boys were a part of this and, and helped and loved and um, you know, we're able now to have more energy and more love and, and even more time for those that are extra in our home because, because my boys have accepted this as a purpose to our family. And this is, might be the first time you've ever thought about this, that your family has a purpose. But God, God has landed families to have purpose. And, and let me just help you think through this. Maybe you guys like to bake or cook. And, and you're like, I, I don't know how could we, we could use this. We all like to do this together. It's fun. Maybe, maybe four times out of the year, once every quarter, you just go around the neighborhood and you pa- pass out some cookies or maybe you, you, know, you're, you smoke meat from time to time. You're, the whole neighborhood's smelling it. You might as well just hand some samples out, you know? And I know your neighbors are like, this is the first time you're on my doorstep. What's up? And you know, like, maybe the first time you meet a neighbor. Who knows? And they're probably thinking, this is probably poison. Honey, this is poison. I, I, we don't know these people. But maybe just, that, that's the purpose, is just to say hi, maybe invite them to an Easter service. Maybe you have a lot of toys in your garage and you, know, you do the RV thing, the, you, you, got, you do the boat thing, or the, you know, you're, you're always riding quads all the time or motorcycles, and, and you've always reserved it for yourself. It's like, here you go, that's my protected family time. How about you just welcome another family in on that? And you spend a little extra money and spend a little extra time, and, and you do it not just for the reason to welcome them in, but the reason to show them Jesus and get them in a Christ-centered culture for a moment. You see, God can use all these things in your life to produce some purpose. You're doing some things together as a family, but you know, this kind of goes back to that intentional stuff with the schedule as well. And, and if you don't mark it on the calendar, it will probably never happen. But there's ways that you can find family unity and family purpose. It can really be there. Maybe you get a skill or a trade that you have. Maybe it's gardening or landscaping. Maybe it's woodworking or some kind of craft. Someone in your neighborhood has a need and your family can step in and help to fill that need every now and then with the intention that you're sharing the light of Jesus Christ with them. And though you may have never thought about this, God wants to use your family. He's got a plan that he wants to accomplish for your family. And, and, and this is not hard to figure out. Abraham and Moses and 
Esther and Nehemiah and David and Joseph and Jesus, they all had families that they were part of, and God used the family to accomplish his plan. God wants to use you. So no excuses today. You're not too messed up. You're not too dysfunctional. Uh, you're, you're not too weird, right? God wants to use you, and all you need to say is, here I am, Lord, send me. I want to have authentic faith. I want to be intentional with my schedule, and I know you've got some purpose for my family, and so we want to be a part of your plan. Here's another wise thing you can do is just deepen right relationships with people in your family. You're never going to get away from two groups, those who you have shared blood with and those who you had babies with. You're always going to be connected. And, and you just need to work on deepening some relationships. And here's what I, you know, I've found when I pastor people is we're making time for coworkers. We're making time for friends. We're making time for people that are in our interest group, but we're not making time for family, the people that matter most. And you know, dads, that's true with kids. Moms, that's true with kids. But parents, that's true with your, your, your kids. That's true with your parents. You're not making time for your parents. And you're not honoring them by giving them some time and, and filling them in on what's on your heart and on your mind. It's a two-way street. And, and maybe it's just time that we just say, we're going to deepen some relationships. We're going to be a little bit more intentional about it. Relationship decisions are probably the most dis- important decisions you'll ever make in your life. And, and here's the thing. We didn't get to make the decision on some of this. <laughs> like, kids, you didn't get to decide who your parents were. Like, at all. You didn't get to decide. Like, you didn't get to decide who your kids are going to be, mom and dad. You, they just, here they are, right? Uh, I heard about this kid that asked his mom, hey, mom, where did humans come from? And mom says, well, you know, it, it started with God and Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had some babies, and those babies grew up to be adults. And, and they had babies, and those babies grew up to be adults until it got to us. And kid's like, okay, went and asked his dad, dad, where, where did humans come from? And dad says, uh, we came from monkeys. We've evolved from monkeys, and now we've become human. Well, the kid didn't know what to do with the two conflicting answers. Ran back to mom and said, "Mom, Dad, Dad just told me that humans came from monkeys." Mom fired back and said, "Well, he was talking about his side of the family." Huh? <laughs> and I think you know we wonder oftentimes why we're born into this crazy family circus. You ever wonder that? It's like a three-ring circus at our house. And some of you have asked the question, God, why did you give me such awful parents? And I'm not going to try to make straight that crazy curve in your life, but let me, let me help you quickly. You were born into the household that you were born into, regardless of how messed up, hurtful, or great it was. Because God needed that woman and that man and their DNA to form you. And he formed you. Now, look, listen, it wasn't God's intent that your mother or your father maybe did some harmful, hurtful, troubling things in your life. But he needed those two to make you. And I know you've gone through maybe some, some living hell in your life, some indescribable stuff. And God did not will that for your life, but he allowed you to walk through it. And friend, I'm here to tell you, just like he can use the dysfunction in our families, he can use those things and those hurts and those habits and those hangups in our life to redeem those things so that your test can become a, a testimony and that you can walk with some people in life who are not standing on the side of grace like you are right now, who are not standing in the light of Christ's love and Christ's mercy and forgiveness and Christ's healing right now. And you can tell them about the journey that you've walked, which might be similar to the valley they've walked through, and you can guide them up to the mountain to our God. And I'm not saying your life is easy or any better because of that. I'm telling you, though, 
that God has put you and placed you in a position that maybe he didn't will for your life, the hurts and the trauma, but he can certainly redeem. And I believe in that God that can redeem our mess and turn it to do something miraculous and mighty within it. And friend, listen, there's a bunch of us right now that need to deepen some relationships. Even some relationships with some people that have hurt us. Some people that have wounded us that we call family. I'll tell you, the deepest relationship that we probably have in this room with one another in our families is our, is our marriage. And I hear, you know, husband and wife come in when they need counseling and they always, you know, illustrate their marriage of where it's at by saying the fire is burning out or the fire is burned out. And they want to, ban- they want to blame the fire. They don't want to blame the one who's tending the fire. You know, you've built a campfire before. You don't just like put the logs up and light it and it gets fully ablaze and heat radiates from it. It just doesn't stay that way. You got to stoke it. You got to manage it. You got to tend it. You got to add fuel to it. Man, if you really want to get a fire to last all night, it takes a lot of work. And if you're sitting here saying about your marriage and you're illustrating it and saying the fire's out, don't blame the fire. How are you tending it? What kind of fuel are you putting into it? Are you willing to do the hard work? And some of you, you've, 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 you've misread, you've misread your marriage right now, and you've said the fire's out when it's not out. There's still embers. There's still there's still some hope left. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy to rekindle it and get it back to where it needs to be, but it could be there, and, and it could be better. It could be better. Because that's who our God is. He's redeeming God. If he can take the dysfunction of our family, he can take the, the hurts and the pains of our marriage and redeem all that. And he can make it better because that's who our God is. But here's what's going to demand on your part, that you have some authentic faith. Because when you have authentic faith and the Holy Spirit's working within you, you can do some things you never thought you could do by yourself because you have Christ's power at work within you. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply. You can do that even with people who've hurt you and wounded you because love does what? It covers over a multitude of sins. Did not say that love sweeps things under the rug. It says at times love will say, I'm not going to hold that against you. That's what love does. There's consequences for our sins. There's consequences for our lies. There's consequences for the deeds that we've done in darkness that are now being exposed. There's consequences for that. But it doesn't mean that one spouse says the other, I'm always going to hold it over your head. Love says, I'm not going to hold that against you. Now we'll work on this addiction We'll try to rebuild the, the, the distrust that has been eroded over your lies. We'll try to rebuild that and get it back to a place of trust again. That's going to take some time, but I'm not going to hold it against you. I think there's some marriages that I'm talking to right now. You've held it against one another for too long, and you haven't been Christ in this situation because our default mode is not grace, but revenge. And it needs to simply be, I've got Christ within me. I can do some things that I wouldn't do normally. Because Christ is within me, and I can produce those fruits. They're maturing within me, and I can love this person, regardless of how they feel about me, and I don't have to hold their sins against them. And that leads to this last thing, the the thing that you can do that's very wise to make a God-honoring home, and that is distribute God's amazing grace. Wouldn't you love to have your home be a grace place? Wouldn't you love that? Let your kids know, regardless of what trouble they've gotten into, they can go home. And they're not going to get embarrassed or beat over the head for it. There's going to be consequences, but they're going to find grace and love and restoration. Wouldn't you love to be that kind of place? Wouldn't you be, love to be the kind of place that the prodigal son thought about his dad's home? 
prodigal son looks at his dad, says, I hate you, I want all my money, and I wish you were dead, so give me the inheritance. And the father says, well, okay, that's how this relationship's going to be. I'll give you what you want. And the prodigal runs off in wild living, ruins his father's wealth. And what does he decide when he's in the mess, the worst of his life? What does he decide? I'm going to go back to dad. Now, that's not how a lot of us respond. I'll go back to dad. Why do you want to go back to dad? Because dad's home was a grace place. That's why. I heard this quote the other day. It made sense to me. I I never want my kids to mess up and think, don't call dad. He's going to kill me. I want their first thought to be, I need to call dad. He'll help me. That's the kind of grace place we need to be. A place where our family knows that even though they've been exposed in marriages where we are so intimate about sharing our deepest heart and our mind and our thoughts, that even though it's on display, we can stand before each other in one sense being naked and unafraid like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And I'm not talking about covering up sin and pretending like it doesn't exist. I'm talking about sin being revealed but grace being extended. Like when sin was revealed in your life, God gave us grace and it was extended to you all. And I'm just laying out this very logical conclusion that if you've received God's infinite, amazing, unfathomable grace, then you can certainly extend that grace to those people in your home. You see, grace just doesn't happen by accident. It's got to be received and it's got to be practiced And it can't just be received and held in. It's got to be given out as well. This is how our God is commonly phrased throughout several books of the Bible when people are asking about his attributes and his characters. This is amazing to me. Uh, The psalmist picks up on it, and he he just emphasizes it. And he says, if you want to know about our God, here's the qualities of our God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in love. That, that's who our God is. And there's several, there's several books, several authors that pick up on that, and they write the same exact phrase. The Lord is compassionate, he's gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. That's the description of God. He's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love. That's how God's kids talk about him. That's how they talk about their dad. How would, how would your family describe you? How would they... How would they emphasize and define your nature and your behavior and your attitude? Man, how I love for it that all of us get to the place where our homes are so Christ-centered and so God-honoring. There are these grace places where we're living out authentic faith. And at the end of the day, we can say, I made the most of the meaningful relationships with the time that I had. And people look at our life and say, man, he was compassionate. He was gracious. He was slow to anger. Boy, he was abounding in love. Wouldn't that be a great definition for you? If your family could say that about you. Man, you'd be just right in the heartbeat of God, wouldn't you? May our homes be God-honoring. May you desire to have a Christ-centered culture and forget about the world's ways and have authentic faith and be a family that honors the Lord. Will you pray with me? God, you're good. And I know that there is right now people that are feeling regret and guilt and shame and all sorts of stuff because that's the way this stuff works. And um, we come to you and we really want you to do something good within us. And 
I know there's a lot of folks right now that have that guilt, shame, and, and regret, but they're like, today's the day that I put this into motion. And I needed that message, and I put this in, and I think there's a hesitancy that, that will say their kids will call them hypocrites, or someone will laugh at them, and our unbelieving spouse won't truly believe it. But I pray, Father, that we're diligent with it, that we'll remain in you or get reconnected with you so that the fruits of the Spirit will be built up in us. Father, that we will truly uh, make make the most of our meaningful relationships and, and prioritize not the schedule, but schedule the priorities. And Father, that we will become men and women that will be filled with amazing grace for one another and we'll discover these purposes that we have together, not alone, but together. And so do something new within us and new in our households and may you start a revival in each home that's represented here. And uh, Father, may we be not blessed, but may we be a blessing to this world because we're living for you and we're truly the salt and light of our neighborhood. And uh, Father, we're praying that people get connected to you today. Maybe for the first time that they lay down their, their selfishness or their own ambitions and, and they link up with you and uh, they find forgiveness. They find that amazing grace and they find a savior savior that overrides their sins and lord i pray today is a, a day of salvation and we pray these things in christ's name amen